you're here with us this morning. If you're new, let me be the third person to welcome you. Really glad that you're here and that you're hanging out with us for the morning. If you're, um, if you're one of the old regulars, really glad that you still come. And uh, yeah, a couple things before we get into today's word. Um, one, if, you're, if you feel like you're a newcomer, we do encourage you to hang out for the newcomer's lunch. It's kind of a great way for you to begin to get your feet wet in the vineyard. And then also uh, coming up in just a few weeks, we have a, uh, a Vineyard Values series that we're going to do, but it won't be, it'll be on Sunday mornings, but it'll be before church. From 9 to 10 in the morning, we have four weeks in a row, and it's just going to be us explaining our six banners, just our Vineyard Values. If you feel like you want to make the Vineyard your home, if you feel like you want to be in leadership here at the Vineyard, you've got to have our DNA. You can't have our DNA until you know our values. So that's one of those, one of those places for you to really get connected, and that'll be showing up here in a few weeks, and it's just four one-hour deals before church starts. Um, also, what? It's Sunday school. Yeah, and David Manning is the president of the Sunday school board. Um, also, we're going to receive our least of these offering. This is how we bless Campbellsville. If the guys, if you guys will come on up, wherever you are, yes, you. Ben, thank you. Uh, yeah, we're going to receive the least of these offering. Uh, I think this is what the third offering we've taken up this Sunday. So, uh, but it really reflects our value that, uh, that radical generosity be a part of our house. Uh, what I mean by radical generosity is this. Uh, the leadership here at the Vineyard feels like if we have to choose between generous and being wise, we will choose generous. Because oftentimes, uh, oftentimes um, a lack of generosity and oftentimes... Uh, stinginess masquerades as wisdom in God's house. And that is what we do want to be no part of. And uh, we want to bless the poor. And this is our way to be friends with, uh, with uh, single moms who can't pay the light bills and people who have just uh, run out of luck. All right, Jesus, we love, we love Campbellsville. Help it. Amen. Help it. I love my sister. She always sends me text messages during church. <laughs> always. All right. Hey, I um, want to continue on in a series uh, that we started a couple weeks ago. So I started talking about the love of God, and then I went away to California, and then I came back. And so I want to pick that up again. And uh, I had really intended on uh, picking up this morning's message from a bit of a different direction. Got about three quarters of the way through my prep in the week and then just really felt like the Lord wanted to bring us back to square one again. And so I'm going to be talking about the love of God this morning and really want to talk about, about why feeling the love of God, feeling his affections on your life is such a big deal. Uh, I had really planned on talking about how to feel the affections of God in your life and I really just didn't feel released to to move to that point yet. I felt like we're still in this place where I need to build the foundation of why it's so important that we have a, a relationship with God's love that isn't merely intellectual, but that is felt, that we, that we feel his emotions, that we feel his affection in our emotions. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but when it comes to life with God, the emotions and the soul is the last place that gets conquered. See, a lot of us in the room already have an intellectual understanding of God's love. But the place that we don't have it is we don't feel it in our emotions. 
And I really want to I really want to spend another uh, week here building this foundation that it is essential as believers for us to not only intellectually understand that God is love, not only intellectually understand that God loves people, but to feel it in our emotions. It's it's one of the key things that will grow you up in Jesus. Uh, really simple Bible verse. Uh, we all know it. You grew up learning it. First John four eight. God is love. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Um, and a lot of us know that at an intellectual level, if we were to hand out a multiple choice test, everybody in the room would get it right, but precious few of it feel it. A lot of us know it right here. We've got an intellectual grasp on it, but precious few believers anywhere on the earth feel it in their emotions, feel the affections of God in their emotions. And it's one of the, it's one of the last territories that the Spirit of God wants to conquer in humanity is, is our soul and in our spirit, uh, in, our, in our emotions. Um, and one of the things about this, why it's so important, is because we're able to perhaps answer it at an intellectual level. If it were a multiple choice test, we would all get the answer right. But how many of you realize that life isn't as, isn't as cut and dry as a multiple choice test? How many of you realize that you're never going to take the multiple choice test on God is love? It's a test that will never be given. In fact, life has a different kind of test, and it's, it's much more dynamic than that. It's, uh, it, it's dynamic. It is not static. So the life that you live right now is not static. It's always moving. And life in God is always moving even more. It, it, life is moving just like the heart in your chest is beating right now, just like the blood in your veins is pulsing. And so an intellectual understanding of God is love, being able to answer multiple choice test questions doesn't prepare you to live the actual life that you find yourself in now. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Good. It makes sense to two people. I'm killing it this morning. Not only that, but to build on top of that, the life you live right now is not static. It's the, it's your heart beating. It's the blood pulsing through your veins. In addition to that life in the kingdom of God is even more alive. It's even more alive. The kingdom of God is not static. It is always alive. It's vibrant. It's, it, it produces fruit. And fruit in the kingdom of God is meant to be consumed. It's meant to be consumed by others. So I'm supposed to have the sort of life that is so alive that fruit comes out of me. And it's fruit not just for me to eat, but it's supposed to nourish other people. You realize that the fruit of the Spirit is meant to nourish other people. You're, you're called to produce a crop of the fruit of the Spirit so that other people can pluck it and eat it. Be nourished by it. You're called to walk in patience and kindness so that other people can pluck it and have a bite. That's the kind of life that comes in the kingdom of God. It nourishes at a deep level. And so we need, we need this contact with, with the love of God. It's this, this life that is not static, but it's moving, it's active, it's producing more life. So why is feeling the love of God so important? Three reasons. I just did, I just did this. Three reasons. I'm on it today. <clears throat> Why is feeling the love of God so important? Three reasons. Number one, because you're actually designed to feel and know the love of God. You're designed to feel and to know the love of God. See, a person is not an animal. They're, they're, they're different. You've been constructed in a dynamic way. You have a body, you have a spirit, and you have a soul. 
And it's impossible to divide between those things. The only thing that can divide between those things is the Word of God. It's, you've, you're so seamlessly crafted. Like one of the things we talk about here around here frequently is, is this question. Where does a person's mind begin and where does it end? It's so seamlessly inter, intertwined into your body. You, you're, you're this dynamic, this dynamic thing. There, there's nothing like a person on the rest of the planet. You know, even the smartest animals are not like a like a person. A person is is something else. You've got a spirit. And what that what that tells us is this, is that we've been crafted in the image of God, but we have a body and we have a mind and we have a spirit. We're this we're this dynamic crown of creation who has been perfectly made to live in the physical world and have contact in the spirit world. Like, I live in two places all the time. Ephesians says that we are seated even now in heavenly places, but I'm here on the earth. There, we, are, we are dramatically and perfectly crafted in such a way that we can live on the planet, but have access to the spirit world. In fact, everyone is always encountering the spirit world. Few of us are aware of it. So what does this tell us? We're actually made to know God perfectly. He designed us to perfectly know God. It says in Genesis, when he formed us, he made us in his image. We carry his likeness. When Adam walked around in the garden, when the animals first saw him, they had to take a double take because they thought it might be God the first time they looked at him. He was so like God. We're we're like him. We're, We're perfectly made to commune with him. And when we're perfectly made to commune with him, we're actually perfectly made to know and to feel the love of God. Like you've been constructed to know and to feel the love of God. Like, if you don't feel the love of God, it's not because you were made incorrectly. There's a lot of reasons why you might not feel the love of God, but it isn't a design issue. You've been designed to know and to feel the love of God. You're a spirit, you're a soul, a body. You live in two realms at one time. In fact, you know, some of us feel crazy. We feel like crazy people. It's okay to feel like crazy people because... We're living in a crazy dynamic. We got feet on the earth and we're even now seated in heavenly places. It'll make you feel crazy sometimes. But it's normal. You're perfectly designed to know God and to feel his love. I was reading some studies this week about little babies and when they're first born with their mothers. That's some crazy stuff. I love reading this stuff. Like babies who do not receive their mother's touch. Babies who aren't attended to. Babies who don't get skin-to-skin contact. Babies who don't receive a response from their mother when they cry. After two months of any sort of, of rejection or any sort of separation, after two months, that baby's cortisol levels, which are, or, which are basically stress hormones. We've all heard of that, right? Cortisol, it's a stress hormone. After two months, I'm not receiving like significant amounts of skin to con- skin contact, significant amounts of touch, a-, a mother's response to the baby's cry. After two months, that baby's cortisol levels, stress hormones go up and stay up for the rest of their lives. See, there's things you need in your development is what I'm trying to say. And one of the things that you need in your development with life with Jesus is you don't need just an intellectual understanding of God's love. You, have, you need to feel it. 
And some of us in here are going, well, so what you're saying is that it's elementary and that's for immature babies, right? And I'm telling you, yeah, kind of, but if you don't get it, then you'll stay a baby your whole life. It's the reason that there are people who are 35 years old in Jesus but have never actually grown up because they never felt the Father's affections. They can know all the Bible. They can quote Scripture all day long. They never felt His affection. They never felt His pleasure. And because of that, they remain stunted. You need to feel the Father's love, just like a baby needs to be held. You realize this, that when a, when a woman has a baby, as soon as the baby pops out into the world and begins to cry, that woman's chest and her breast get two degrees warmer than any, any other place in her whole body. And they, where's the first place that doctors want you to put that baby? Right there. You need, you, you need the Father's love. You need to feel it just like a baby needs to be right on his mother's chest as soon as he comes from the birth canal. You need it. If you don't get it, it'll wreck your life. Maybe for the rest of your life. It's that essential. The good news is, is you've been designed to know the Father's love, to feel it on the inside. Imagine a mother who has a baby but never touches it and just says to the baby when it's crying, I wish you would be quiet because I really do love you. Don't you know that? Baby? Baby? Over the crib. Baby, I need you to be quiet. I love you. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yet most of us live with the concept of God that He is shouting out of heaven. I wish you guys would be quiet. Don't you know that I love you? We've been designed for contact. You were designed to know God and to feel His love in your whole person, not just at an intellectual level. Um, I want to say two contradictory things. Can I say two contradictory things? See, here in the vineyard, we're not about black and white answers. We're about, we're about where real life happens, and oftentimes it's very gray and there's lots of tension. So I'm going to tell you two things back to back that are somewhat contradictory. How many of you know that you can know things without loving it? You can know facts without loving it, Right? This is, this is the reason that an intellectual approach to God will never suffice and never grow you in Jesus. It's entirely possible to know all sorts of things about God, to know all sorts of things about the Bible, and not love any of it. How many of you also realize that if you love it, you always love it? See, it's, in, it's impossible for me to love my wife without knowing her. It's entirely possible for me to know one of you without loving you. It's the reason that love has to be felt. The affections of the Father have to be felt. They have to be known beyond just an intellectual level. Now, how many of you also realize, I'm going to say the other thing, the contradictory thing. This is where the kingdom is at. How many of you also realize that you are perfectly constructed, body, soul, and spirit, and that if something touches your mind, if mind renewal happens, even if, it's, even if it's knowing God at an intellectual level, it will eventually work its way through the rest of your person. Because how can you possibly separate, how can you possibly separate your thoughts from your experience? So the good news is this, is if you only know about the love of God right here, if the only thing that you have going for you right now is 1 John 4, 8, if that's all you know, keep going because it will eventually work out. It will eventually work out. It will eventually come through your body. You are made and constructed to know the love of God all the way through. But this morning, what I want to say to the church is this. It's let's not be satisfied with simple answers that stay right here. Like, let's not be those people. So how, why is feeling God's love so important? Number one, 
because you were designed to know God's love. And right along with it, if you don't feel the affections of the Father, you won't develop. You're just like a baby who never got his mother's touch. Reason number two, why is feeling the love of God so important? Number two, it's so important because God's love is so big. I'm talking out of a bunch of scriptures this morning that everybody knows really good. The second reason that it's so important to feel God's love is because it's so big. In John 3.16, it says that God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only Son. Why did God give His Son? Because He loved the whole world. Now, I want you to get this. God loves everybody. We kind of understand that a little bit. But can you imagine, have you ever been in a really, really big city? Anybody ever, like a really big city? Anybody ever eaten uh, in a restaurant on the street in a really big city? Yeah, last summer, early summer in June. I just want to say there's nothing like Chicago in June. Right, babe? And Heather and I are eating out on Michigan Avenue, right next to the water company in Chicago, out on this little terrace. And how many people were out that Sunday afternoon? Innumerable. There were innumerable. And, and I, was, I was touched. I, I, I actually was sitting there, and uh, we were, I don't even know, what, we were eating an amazing salad or something. I don't even know what was happening. And all of a sudden, I got really touched by the love of God because there's all these people out in the streets, and I just got touched like He cares about all of them, like even the ones who don't know Him. Like even the ones who I have heard about Him and hate Him. He's just... Why is it so important to feel the love of God? Because it's so big. He loved the whole world. And not only does He love the whole world that exists right now, but this is something that's harder to grasp. It's a bit more abstract. But He loves the whole world that has ever been. Like every person that has ever lived anywhere on the planet. Like He cares about them. He has kind thoughts toward them. Even Even the people who murdered His Son, God has kind thoughts about them. It's crazy. Like the three or four foolish Roman soldiers who drove nails through an innocent Jesus' hands and feet. God was sitting in heaven with kind thoughts towards those people. Even Jesus says, oh, Father, would you forgive them because they really don't know what they're doing. What kind of person does that? We lose context in the story sometimes. We think, you know, we don't, we don't fully grasp what's happening. But can you imagine laying on like a rough wooden tree with guys holding you down against your will, driving nails through your hands, and your prayer is... God, would you forgive these people? They have no clue what they're doing. You would not say that, right? Why is Jesus able to say that? Because he and the Father are so crazy about people. Even people who are running, running away from them. Even people who are giving God the finger. There are some of those out there. Like even now, God is crazy about Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins hates God. God's crazy about him. His kind... God is kind to him. Even now, he's being kind to Richard Dawkins. It says in Romans 5, 8, one of the first scriptures I ever memorized, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love is a demonstrating kind of love, and he will demonstrate it to people who are rebellious against him, people who are running away from the good kind of life, not only running away from the good kind of life, but trying to get others to come along. Like total rebels. God is like so kind. So why is it important for us to feel it? Because it's so big. 
What am I trying to get at? What I'm trying to get at is if God loves every person who's alive today, if he loves everyone in the room, if he loves all those people on Michigan Avenue, and if he loves everybody who's ever been alive any place in any time in history, if he loves even rebellious people who are running away from him, if he even loves Richard Dawkins right now, if he's thinking kind thoughts towards the Roman soldiers who hung his own son on the tree, then my goodness, that is the kind of love that is so big that it can't be contained intellectually. It will spill over and it must touch my heart. You see, here's the deal. If it's a love that can be contained intellectually, it's probably not the love of God. If it's a love that I perfectly understand, then it can't be God. Because if his peace surpasses understanding, what about his love? That's what I'm saying, you know, come on. And it can't be contained on the inside. I want to say this other thing about how big God's love is. Because some of us need to hear this. God's love is really, really big. It can't be contained in the intellect. It must be held in the heart as well. And it's the kind of love that is not simply a task-oriented love. See, a lot of us, especially preachers, oh man, we're the worst. We read passages like John 3.16 and we read it with a task-oriented mind as though God's love were task-oriented. What do I mean? We read it like this. Like the only reason God loves the world is so that he can just go ahead and save it and get the job done. Right? Like God loves to the point, up, up to the point of getting the job done. As though his end game were to get the job done. As though his end game were simply to forgive sin. There's a problem. Uh-huh. Go ahead, Jesus. You know, whatever. And Yeah, I know it's going to be hectic, but we'll just go ahead and do it. Get her done. You know? A lot of us live with this concept that God is a lot more like Larry the Cable Guy, just get her done. Like We live with a concept of God that's like our dad, you know? A lot of us grew up with, with task-oriented dads. And what I want to tell you is God's love is not task-oriented. He didn't send Jesus just to forgive your sins. See, a lot of us think that, that He sent Jesus so He could forgive your sins, and then He would show up and He would say, Hey kids, look at what I did. I sent my son. Aren't you happy? All right, peace out. See you guys later. Task-oriented love. God's love is not like that at all. Jesus, this is the way it works. God has sent his son to Jesus, and then he shows up and he says, Hey guys, look at what I've done through my precious son Jesus. Now come here. It's a totally different kind of deal. Like, Like good fathers provide, but great fathers are present. You know, come on. It's a totally different deal. It's not as though God was just trying to get something done. Like, and we know this because Genesis 1 and the end of Revelation tells a completely different kind of story. It's almost like a gospel we've never heard. Here's the deal. God didn't come just to save your sins. He came to wipe something away so that he could pour something in. See, a lot of us have just, we've heard this sin gospel so much and we think it's just connected to that. See, here's the deal. In the beginning of Genesis, there's a garden. And in the garden, it was a perfect place. And in the garden, he places Adam and he places Eve. And God shows up and he walks with them in the cool of day. Now, if you're walking around a garden that is perfect, with perfect love, what are you going to do? What would you do? If you're in a garden and all of your needs are met and perfect love comes and walks with you every day, what do you do? You walk with them. What happens when you walk with someone? You talk to them. What do you talk about? 
whatever. Right? You share your heart. You share your plans. You share your dreams. You hear their heart. You hear their plans. You hear their dreams. Then you'd say, you know what? I really like your dreams. Can I be a part of them? And then perfect love would say, you know what? I actually like your dreams a lot. Can I be a part of those? And they're like, oh, man, let's go do this thing. And then they're like, oh, totally cool. Can we do it on Tuesday? And you're like, totally, yes, let's do it. What's the point? The point is that God has sent his son to take care of sin, not just so that he could be a task oriented and get the job done, but so that he can have communion again. Like Revelation ends just like Genesis began. We got a river. We got trees. We got like God himself. We, and not only that, but at the end of the book, apparently there's going to be some sort of a dinner. I'm stoked about this dinner. Like, I really enjoy good food. I enjoy good wine. Apparently, there's wine at this dinner. Apparently, Jesus is the sort of Jesus who takes water and makes the best wine. So I'm very excited about this. I don't know how it works, but I'm very excited about it. What happens at dinner time? You talk. What do you talk about? Whatever. Right? What did you do today? Oh, I did this and that. What did you do today? Well, I, you know, I was out and I did this. And it was cool, you know. How was your day? Oh, that's pretty good. How was your day? It was actually really great. I can, what do you want to do with your life? I don't know, man. I'm just, I don't know. What do you think I should do? Right? So the beginning of the Bible begins with, hey, man, what are you doing? And the end of the Bible begins with a dinner with the best wine and food ever and an entire family from all the ages saying, hey, man, what are we going to do? Like, this is one of the most profound questions that never gets asked in Christianity. But like, after you get saved, I don't know about you guys, but I was asking myself this question for years. What's next? Like, what is next? There has to be more than this. It isn't just about like getting dunked and doing the thing and being bored for 78 years and then dying a meaningless life. Come on. It's not about that. There's more. You know why there's more? It's because his love is so much more. And if he wants to be with me, if like the creator of the universe wants to be with me and not just like tolerate me, but be with me. See, a lot of us have a concept of God that he is tolerating us. He is not tolerating people. He is in love with people, even rebellious people. And he has sent his son not just to get rid of sin. The bigger point is to be with you so that you could dream together, do something together significant in all the ages for eternity. Like everything that's happening now is going to matter. Everything matters. It matters. You know, some of us are living with a, like depressed out of our skulls because we think life doesn't matter. I'm telling you, it matters. He made a garden. He's going to make a garden again. The earth is not, I just want to say this, the earth is not going to burn up. New Jerusalem and new heaven is going to come to the earth. Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. This planet isn't going anywhere. You're going to be resurrected. You're going to have authority and you're going to have a dominion. And you're going to do things in the earth. You're going to, you're going to farm the earth as though it were meant to be farmed. Things that haven't even been sown. Things that haven't even been seen. Possibilities that have never been dreamed or imagined are going to come out of the earth. For all of time, we're going to, we're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to be sitting at the dinner table at night, drinking the very best wine made by Jesus and some of his winemaker friends in Napa Valley. And we're going to, we're going to, we are, it's true. It's totally true. 
Even completely lost winemakers right now in Napa Valley, if they turn to the Lord, he will give them a job in, the, in eternity. And they will work with him in his wine press. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. And at dinner, we will drink the best wine from Jesus in Napa Valley. And we will talk about our dreams. And this is the point of feeling the affections of God in our life. Like if you don't feel it, it's not present. Then life isn't meaningful. So number one, it's important to feel the love of God because you were designed to. Number two is because God's love is so big, it can't be contained in the intellect alone. And then number three, I couldn't figure out a way to say number three. So I'm going to have to just explain things. Can I do that? I couldn't figure out the one line to explain number three. So it'll just be number three. All right? I need to read some scriptures to you because they're really good. Some of you guys will pick up on it really soon. Oh, I need to read here. Oh, yeah. John chapter 14. I want to read some really important scripture to you about why feeling the affections of God are so important. John 14, verse 16. Jesus is about to leave the planet. He's hanging out with his disciples one of the last times. And he says this, And I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. This other helper is the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he lives with you and he will be where? In you. Underline that in your Bible. Who's going to be in you? No? What? The spirit. The spirit will be where? In you. I'm going to go on. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm coming to you. Not long from now, the world won't see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That was a complicated way of saying that, but let's break that down, okay? On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father. Where is Jesus? In His Father. And, I, and you are in me. Where are we? In Jesus, who is, who is in where? In Father. So we are in Jesus, who is in the Father. And then what does He say there at the end? I am in you. So who do we have on the inside? And the Spirit and the Father. Even now we are living in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a very complicated language. How many of you realize that if Jesus is saying something that's really complicated and seems really strange, If the language has a hard time holding it, then it really means this is a profound mystery that is deep. Like the foundations of the universe hinge on on this one. This is one of those secrets that holds it all together. I want to read another scripture to you. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where's Christ? In you. So on the inside, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even now, you are inside Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why is feeling the love of God so important? It's so important... 
Because right now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are on the inside of you. Not only that, but right now, you are on the inside of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which is to say, that if I'm not experiencing, feeling the affections of God, I'm deceived. It's the only logical conclusion that can be drawn from this. God is living in me. And somehow I'm living in Him. And if I don't feel His affections, I'm deceived. There's no other way around it. Feeling the affections of God actually means we have awakened to real life. It's one of the barometers to being awakened to real life. Not being able to feel the affections of God in your life is a barometer that tells us at a certain level, somewhere in my life, I am yet still deceived. Does that mean you're going to hell? Of course not. He's kind. But does it mean that you're living life to the fullest? Nope. So how is it possible to be in God and to have God in you and still be deceived, still be unaware of His affections, still live day to day not feeling His kindness toward you? Well, the number one way that you can be in God and He can be in you and you be unaware of His presence and unaware of His affections is that your life experiences have lied to you. Your life experiences have lied to you. See, the things that happen to us shape us. The house we grow up in. The mother and father we have. It shapes us. Tragedy and disappointment in our life. They shape us. And if it's left unchecked or unhealed, tragedy and disappointment become the dominant narrative. See, here's one of the things about human nature. Humans love story. All humans love story. So we build story into our lives and we reflect upon our lives in a narrative form. And if tragedy and disappointment aren't healed, if they're not taken to the Father, they become the dominant narrative. And when they become the dominant narrative, deception takes hold in our hearts. Oh, but, oh, yeah, by the way, the reason that you review your life and you construct it in story form is because you're like your father. And the only person who likes a story more than you and me is the Father in heaven. He does everything in story form. Jesus hardly ever taught without a story. See, wounds that are not taken to the healer, they become infected. Broken bones that are not set Broken bones of di- disappointment that are not set um, properly. When they, when they heal back, they heal back improperly and then you limp the rest of your life. And then the overarching narrative of your life becomes disappointment and tragedy. Good news though. Good news is this, is that there is a greater truth that supersedes disappointment and tragedy. There actually is a greater truth that supersedes disappointment and tragedy. And the other thing I want to tell you is this, is, is that just because something happened doesn't make it true. Okay? Just because something happened doesn't make it true. Now, am I talking about living in fantasy land? No, I'm not talking about living in fantasy land. Am I talking about acting as though things didn't happen? No, that's ridiculous. But what I am saying is this, not everything that happened in your life is true. 
It may be actual, but it may not be true. There's a difference between actual and true. See, what happened is nowhere near as true as what is happening and is going to happen. I'm going to get really abstract, so I need everybody to get with me, okay? Because when we come at this kind of truth, at this point with the revelation we have, we can't come directly. We can only come at glancing blows here. What I'm here to tell you is what happened in your life isn't as true as what's happening and what is going to happen. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. What is happening is that the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. What is going to happen is that one day the kingdom of heaven is going to fully break in. Heaven is going to come to earth and all wrongs are going to be set right. And that is the truth. Just because it happened doesn't mean that it's true. Just because it's actual doesn't mean that it gets to define you. What happened isn't as true as what's happening and nowhere near as true as what's going to happen. So just because you were wounded doesn't mean that you are wounded. It means that you are going to be completely set free. Just because of what, who, what happened to you, just because of who you were, just because of who you presently are, that's nowhere near as true as who you're going to be. You're going to be glorious. You're going to be glorious. He's going to transform everything that is decayed into glory. I mean, come on, it's going to be glorious. There is no part of this life that is allowed to touch glory. Like no part, disappointment isn't as true as glory. He's going to transform every single thing. All of it. All of it. He is going to transform it all. It's the reason he says at the end of the book, behold, I make all things new. See, your disappointment isn't as real as his healing. Your pain isn't as true as his comfort. Your wound isn't as true as his loving touch. Wounds will not last. This is the, this is, there's so much hope in this. I don't know. I'm resonating. Your wounds will not last at most a hundred years. The, the most, I mean, like, you know, the Chinese guys living in the village at most 116 years. You can only possibly be wounded, disappointed, broken for 116 years. But when you get in Him, you can be glorious forever. Forever. So what happened isn't true. It might be actual, but it isn't true. It will not last. It is a thin veneer. It has no structural value whatsoever. There's something different. Come on. There's something different. It's the reason that feeling his affections are so important. Is he's living in you right now. You are living in him. And if I can't feel it, then I'm deceived. The only reason I'm deceived is because life has spoken a narrative word of disappointment over me. And I want to tell you right now, we can break that assignment and let the kingdom of heaven break in. We can cause the future to come here. 
I mean, come on. It's not going to last. At the most, I mean, it's, it's running out. Darkness is becoming obsolete. My pain is becoming more and more obsolete. It will only function well for you in a decreasing manner. It's, it's, there is diminishing returns. That's the word I'm trying to look for. You will have to sow harder and harder into, into pain in order to feel the same thing because healing is coming in. The ages are overlapping. I hope we're getting this. See, the trouble with being deceived is that you don't know it. It's kind of like this. When Heather and I were first married, we were poor and we didn't know it. We were just living life, man. We didn't know it, was, we didn't know it wasn't normal. That, we didn't know that not everybody on our street had a $25 a week grocery budget. We just thought that was normal. I mean, we were happy. Thank God, you know, whatever. <laughs> it wasn't until some years later that... Like the ball rolled in our direction a little bit and we looked back on it and went, wow, we were really poor. Like, we were like really poor. Yeah. That's the trouble with being deceived is you just don't know it. And it's possible to, live in, to be living in conditions that are so all-encompassing that you're actually unaware of any other reality. So pain can become so all-encompassing that you can't, you can't even know, you can't even conceive of any other reality other than pain. It's like an accent. <laughs> See, we're all here, we're all, we're all groovy. We all have a Kentucky accent. I go to California, first words out of my mouth, three girls laughed. <laughs> I'm like, what's up? And they're like, you talk so weird. I'm like, no, I don't. You talk weird. It's that invisible reality. We carry it around all the time with us. And some of our realities are so all-encompassing that we, we can't even conceive of anyone else. And then we meet someone from Australia and we're like, whoa. You know, we meet somebody from the kingdom and we're like, whoa. Whoa, that's possible? We, need, we li- meet somebody not living under a cloud of disappointment and, and tragedy and we're like, whoa, that's possible? Hope comes in our... Hope comes into our heart and you get around somebody who's, who's living with like a kingdom perspective and then you're like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't even know. <clears throat> what I feel like what God wants to do this morning is I feel like God wants to speak to his sons and daughters all over the room. Um. <laughs> I feel like he wants to reaffirm his affections for everybody here. And I, um, this is really interesting. Um, God's voice is hardly ever a voice. And it's almost always a whisper. We know that, right? God almost always whispers. And I think he does it on purpose, by the way, because it draws us in. Any idiot can hear a shouting fool, but you, got, you have to want to hear a whisper. But there's three places in the New Testament where God does not whisper, where he speaks out of heaven and an audible voice at Jesus's baptism, at his transfiguration. And then in John 12, right before he gets crucified, the audible voice of God speaks out of heaven. He does. He chooses not to whisper. He chooses to break with his normal tradition and he chooses to speak loudly. Do you know what he speaks about two of those three times? 
He speaks about how much he loves his son. Oh, what is the thing that God will not whisper about? His affection over his sons and daughters. Oh, man, come on. Like, he only speaks audibly three times, and two of the three times, it's, Jesus, I love you. That's my son. I'm crazy about him. Everyone do what he says. Peter, sit down. I mean, that's the... Come on. I mean, what will, what will rouse God from a whisper into full voice? His affections for his sons and daughters. God turns up the volume when he's speaking his approval. I feel like that's what he wants to do this morning. Is he wants to speak to sons and daughters and he wants, to, he wants to set a seal of approval over you. I feel like a lot of us in the room have become acclimated to an atmosphere and a life that's void of the loving God. It's like eating hamburger every day, not realizing that there's even such a thing as a filet mignon. See, our experience shape our outlooks and our past gets written into our future. But the good news is this morning is that there's always more. If there's not more, if you reach the end of something, it's not God. Because it says in the scripture that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There is always more. Like, if you don't feel the love of God, good news this morning, there's way more for you. If you're feeling the love of God quite a lot, good news. Because there is way, way more. You can't exhaust it. If you run into the edge, then you know you've run into an idol in the Lord. Because there is always more. There's always more. In the kingdom of God, things grow. Everything grows in the kingdom of God. There's so much life in it. Little tiny mustard seeds become the biggest plant in the garden. A little bit of yeast goes all the way through the dough. Eight pound, eight ounce baby Jesus becomes full grown baby Jesus. See, God oftentimes starts small and he works his way bigger. Everything grows in the, in the kingdom of God. So the future is breaking in and the past is becoming obsolete. Amen? Amen. I, I, I really want to pray for you guys before we do all the other things we're supposed to do this morning. Why don't you stand up this morning? It's a pretty good move. If I do say so myself. Didn't he, I, look, I am tremendously anointed this morning. Hey, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, just put your hand on your heart. We're going to take some time here. God's going to speak His word of approval over your life. There's always more. See, I feel His approval already. I don't know if you can you can you just feel the love of God like in the room right now? He's just so present. It's it's downright intoxicating. It it'd get you drunk a little bit. It would it it would so alter your inhibitions. You'd you'd do about anything. Anybody in here ever been punch drunk in love? Anybody ever pursued a woman and just just went stupid? Oh, man. That's what I'm talking about. 
Father, I ask that you would speak your word of affection over sons and daughters all over the room right now. God, if we, if we have been unable to hear it, God, I ask that you would open our ears. God, if we only know things in our minds which are meant to be felt in our hearts, God, I ask that you would unclog the pathway. And even now, God, would you cause your great love to be felt in the room. God, the truest thing in the universe is your love. I ask that you would allow all of us to feel it. Feel it deeply. Man, the love of God is in the room. Let's just breathe it in. Some of you are like, breathe it in? That's weird. Yeah, I know, it's great. Just don't ask questions. (laughs) Just do it. Oh, God, we just breathe you in this morning. God, I ask that you would speak your affirming word over us. Father, I ask that you would give us, God, would you give us a Luke chapter 3 moment where you break into our life and speak that, that word of approval over us. God, I ask that you would break through all of our mindsets and all of our worldviews and cause us to feel your great love for us. Some of us in the room have a really whacked out version of what it means to be mature in Christ. Some of us think that maturing Christ is being able to like just take the pain and keep running. No, maturity in Christ is, is aware of His love. Some of us think it's just like, grit your teeth. Oh, I'm just, he said it, I'm going to do it. No, it's, it's to feel the affections of Father. You realize that, that God spoke His affections over His Son Jesus before Jesus had done anything. Because it wasn't based upon anything that he did or didn't do. It was just that he loves people. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over every other lover. We take, we take authority over every place we've given our heart away. God, we take authority over every place that we've sought consolation. God, we take authority over every lofty thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of you. And God, we just, we relinquish those spots to you and we just say, come and fill us with your love, Jesus. Come and fill us with your love. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, the lover of our soul. Amen. 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 Hey, if you need ministry at all this morning, if you are sick in your body, if you are, uh, if life has just whacked you around,